All right. Welcome back to the Fear and Trembling podcast. I am Aaron, and I'm here with the normal crew of misfits. I think it's safe. <laughs> <laughs> the Motley crew, Bill, JB, Darwin, myself. Uh, but today, we are blessed as we are diving into a burning in my bones uh, with a special guest to join this misfit. So maybe maybe you're going to bring a little normalcy for us. Um, but in order to introduce our guest, I'm going to actually toss, toss it over to JB. He's going to be leading our conversation today. So JB, why don't you introduce our guest? Well, yeah, what a joy and privilege. We don't always get to have the author of the book uh, join us for this conversation. And we have Wynn Collier here and uh, from currently at Western Theological Seminary, a wonderful, wonderful school for <laughs> formation, for ministry. Some of the best ministers come That's from there. Right. Is that what That's you're telling right. us? I have, my, I have my Western <laughs> coffee mug here. Oh. Uh, but we are we – are, Privilege to have you join our conversation, Win, and to give some insight into uh, what brought this book together. And, and why don't you just share a little bit about yourself and um, whatever you want to share, and kind of how how this book came to be, and what brought you to Western Seminary, maybe in Holland, Michigan. And if you want to give any thoughts on Holland, Michigan, you can certainly do that as well. But I'll just <laughs> throw it your way. <laughs> the tulips are coming. That's right. That's yeah. right. And February is behind. That's right. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the mm-hmm. invitation. So I am husband to Miska. She's a spiritual director and a yoga teacher. And I'm a dad to Wyatt and Seth. Wyatt is a sophomore at Hope. And our oldest is a... Uh, senior in high school. Actually, we got him back to Charlottesville, where we moved from, to graduate with his friends that he'd been mm. in school with for 11 mm. years. Gosh. So it's been a hard year. We were empty nesters really fast. We made the decision literally over the weekend, right before West Ottawa was starting back to school. And wow. uh, so he came we, during his junior year here. So I am a pastor, been a pastor for 25 years, and we moved in August of 2020 from Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where I was the pastor of All Souls Church. And this being here has been beautiful and surprising. I never imagined living in western Michigan. I didn't understand even what the lakes were, really. I mean, I'd <laughs> flown over them and probably had seen them at some point. but Miniature oceans. It's, it's remarkable. And I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't believe the beach was real. Um, but it is. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It did you, is. Did you make sure it wasn't salt water? Like my <laughs> that's right. And I don't like salt water, so that's all. That's oh, all plus yeah. for me. I, I like the salt water. Yeah, I like the sun and the the sand is great. I do miss the mountains. Yeah. Mountains are an important part of my life. We used to live in Colorado, and um, then in Virginia, we were right at the Blue Ridge. So I do miss the mountains, but we love it here. And uh, essentially, with Eugene, I was introduced to Eugene like everyone else probably through his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year was 1999. I was a young pastor in a struggling church in Denver. We were there for my wife to go to grad school, and this church couldn't afford a full-time pastor, and I was a, a stockbroker at the time. I'd finished seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, So I became pastor there bivocationally, and they had been through several splits. And I thought, because I still had you know, the freshness of seminary that I could really do this, I could change this. And so I brought all of my whiz-bang ideas, you know, really monumental thoughts that no one else had ever thought of before, like changing the church name and uh, 
<laughs> and um, doing mission because they'd never considered that before in small groups. You know, that was real revolutionary. But about six months in, one of the elders of the church came up to me after church on a Sunday and said, when I have a book I think you'll enjoy, and he handed me Eugene's Working the Angles, The Shape of Pastoral Integrity. And I realized later he meant, uh, when I think you need this book. And mm. I did. And I was only a couple paragraphs in, and my heart was pierced because I, for the first time, felt like I was having someone describe to me the beauty, the wonder of what it means to be a pastor and the nobility of the work and the calling and the struggle. And I'd been around it all my life, but I guess we all have to learn on our own. And uh, so it was very transformative, and I began to write him letters. My first book was published by one of his publishers, and I talked the editor into giving me his address, Mm -hmm. started to write him letters, was shocked when he wrote me back. I thought I was super unique until, you know, years later I would have thousands of his letters in my basement and realize I was as ordinary as they come. (laughs) Um, But we just struck up a friendship over letters primarily, and he became my pastor um, through letters and got to spend some time with him and then in 2016 became his biographer. Well, that's exciting. That's a journey. Yeah, and that's how I ended up here at Western because – I had all of his journals, manuscripts, letters, papers, photographs in my cellar, praying to God that I wouldn't have a flood or a right. fire. Wow. And just began to talk with his family about what do we do with these things? And um, a couple institutions wanted them and wanted to start a center. And through a process of discernment, the family made the choice to do to Western, to give it to Western, and asked, they asked me to come and be the director. And, and may, when maybe, because I'm, I'm wondering if maybe some of our listeners maybe aren't aware of uh, the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Maybe just share a little bit about um, about the center and, and how it got to Western and just briefly, if you could. That'd be sure. Great. Well, in Eugene's last 15 years or so, he he became a friend of the seminary. Mm-hmm. He had friends who were here, the president and faculty. He came several times to teach and preach and lecture and went on a trip to Israel, I think with an entire senior senior class one year. Mm-hmm. And he just he was very slow to ever recommend seminaries. He just didn't like to get into that and he had lots of thoughts about seminaries. <laughs> um, but but he, Pushed a little bit, Western would always be right there at the top. He he would recommend it. And um, so that was part of it. And then there was just this – Eric, his son, was the one who was leading sort of the family in discerning this. And he was just here. I, he, he tells me it was just really a, a gut instinct, hopefully from the spirit. Uh, it was actually being in chapel on a Friday and just – sensing God's spirit there and thinking about his mom and dad having been in that chapel space and mm. finding joy and life there himself. And he just, it felt right. Mm. Mm. And so there are three groups of people that I, I think that Eugene was always finding his way to, and they were finding their way to him. And so the first was pastors. I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that probably no pastor over the past 75 years has been more, um, thoughtful and um, more uh, received by pastors as a voice of sanity and integrity and faithfulness. (laughs) Preach it. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, as I was leaving All Souls for the first 
month or two when the church began their search for a new pastor, I was there and I wasn't participating in it, but I got to see some of the resumes and things that were coming in. And it was quite remarkable to me. I would say 95% of the pastors in some way referenced Eugene um, as formative for them. And so that's, um, that's the first group. And then the second group is just creative folks, writers, um, musicians, painters, photographers, sculptors. Those people just gravitated to Eugene. Eugene was enjoyed being in conversation with them. You know, the the whole friendship with Bono was sort of a fruit of this. Mm -hmm. And I I think it was that Eugene gave language to the nobility of being deeply human in a way that the artists help us do. Mm -hmm. And I think Eugene had a theology that pulled in this kind of deep integrity of beauty. And so the third group is much more broad and amorphous, but I just think of it as trying to be faithful, but mostly befuddled Christians. Mm -hmm. And that many of us have just found Eugene to be a, um, a light and, um, someone who over years and years was a faithful storyteller of the, of the gospel in a way that, naturally inhabited a space that feels very fractious. And so our hope at the, at the Peterson Center is to continue those conversations in those, those three areas. Well, beautiful. I'd, I'd like to get into the book a little bit. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And if I, can, if I can jump in, when because I think you touched on it, you began to touch on it with artists. And there, there was something that, you know, as I've encountered Eugene and really have appreciated, you know, wish I would have had a chance to meet him and talk with him because what, um, his, his understanding of the the holiness of the ordinary, right. The beauty, sort of a sacramental life, right. Um, what do you think most influenced that in his life? I mean, it, it, as I read that, that was something that just kept coming back, um, you know, in, in his parents and nature, things like that. But, as you've gotten to talk with him and as you wrote to what do you think most influenced sort of that ability to see the holiness and the beauty of the ordinary and, and see God through that? Well, I think there's probably lots of things. One would be the place where he grew up. I mean, you really can't understand Eugene without understanding the Flathead Valley of Montana. It's a very particular place. I remember walking into his kitchen and I've talked to other people who were there in his house and this was a regular occurrence and he would be s- standing in front of the kitchen sink looking out the back windows so there's a little bay that their house is in and as you're looking out you're looking over the bay you're looking across the Flathead Lake and then you're looking to the other side of the Mission uh, Range Mountains almost always going to be snow capped and he would just sit there and just stare at these mountains and it was almost like he, he was oblivious that anyone else was in the room. And and he would often say in this gravelly voice, you know, I just love the sensuality of this place. Um, <laughs> oh and um, so I think there was something about being completely immersed in that world, and he never really left it. Even when he lived elsewhere, mm. he always came back. He would take that to New York because he was there for a while. He would Absolutely. take it to Vancouver. Yeah, take it to Baltimore. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think the other part of it is 
he just um, he was someone who really paid attention. Um, he 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 was at odds with the utilitarian ways that we think about mm-hmm. the world and the way the church has learned to think about the church. And and there's another part which I, I don't want to be sort of um, coy or anything, but I I feel like it's 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 almost like he was just reading the Bible well. I mean, you know, it it wasn't anything he was doing was unique. I think what was unique about it is that we've lost touch with the most basic truths that he refused to lose touch with. Yeah. And and then with that, like, because I think that something I learned from his writings, whether it was Eat eat this book or whether it was through, because I first engaged really with what he had to say from the pastoral library. Um, I was doing an independent study in college on what does it mean to be a pastor? And that was a recommendation. He's like, um, Dave Ron was my professor. And he said, well, I'd I'd recommend if you're doing this independent study, you better, you better have some conversation with, with uh, Eugene Peterson. And, uh, you know, I think as I engaged, that was just the way he read the Bible. It was a conversation partner. You know, that it seemed like, from my perspective, he had just, he had a real genuine relationship with God in the Word. And I guess too, with that, then I wonder how did how did you see him? I don't want to say effective because that doesn't. It's it's a word we. It's so coined with a lot of different understandings, right? Um, that that's not what I'm trying to get at. But how did he disciple people well? Then in like, how did you see him passing along that 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 holiness, that appreciation for say, like, was it in conversations? Was it in sharing life? I mean, that we can learn from even today. Yeah. Well, you know, Eugene was notorious for um, being suspect of most every kind of plan and program that could be invented. <laughs> Not a technique kind of guy. <laughs> right. In fact, he he really was uh, sort of dispositionally at odds because he felt like the American pension is almost always to figure out how to conquer something and then go conquer it and that we treat discipleship the same way. So <laughs> – for Eugene, it really was about his presence, that it was the way he existed in the world. So whenever – you know, so many people would come visit him and Jan, he and Jan, pastors, um, artists, Christians. And what I experienced and what others experienced over and over again is how when you came into their home, they just invited you into their world. You know, I don't know if you've ever been with places where you feel like the the, the host is like almost um, changing their life and everything is revolving around you and it almost is uncomfortable. It's <laughs> It feels, you know, it's under the guise of hospitality, but it almost feels like you're in imposition. Sure. Well, Jane and Eugene were deeply hospitable, but their form of hospitality was just to say, come and be in what we're doing. So if we're cooking, you can cook with us. If we're taking a walk, you can walk with us. If we're having our evening prayers, you can have evening prayers with us. If we're taking naps, feel free to take a nap, yeah. you know. Um, and what people noticed is I did for sure. You'd walk in. You would usually have some kind of anxiety. You would have a few burning questions you want to ask the sage Eugene about. <laughs> and, and you'd be there a little while, and all of a sudden you would realize that your anxiety – was 
diminishing. Mm. And you would recognize that maybe your questions had actually changed. And the question that was so important all of a sudden didn't feel that important because you were entering into a different world that looked at things in a different way. And somehow it was almost becoming hard to connect what your anxiety was exactly. And so I think the um, the beauty and power of Eugene and Chan's life, particularly um, talking here in this moment about Eugene, is that he was holy. Hmm. I think we try to give away things that haven't deeply done their own work in our own heart. Yeah, sure. And so, and his holiness was very human. And that's something that we Mm -hmm. have torn asunder Mm -hmm. so that it's so much so that one of my projects in life is to ennoble again the the word holy and holiness, Mm -hmm. because I think it's almost become something that we, we can't use because people hear it and they think of it as very inhuman, Mm -hmm. which is exactly the opposite of if Jesus is the true human in one person, complete holiness, and the most human person who ever existed, then these things must belong together. And so I, I find myself uh, hungry to encounter people who, um, who b- blend these together because if you're, you know, quote-unquote holy but not human, um, I don't think you're really holy. And I think if you're, quote-unquote, human – but you're not being invigorated by the love of Christ and transformed. I think our humanness is is fading, and so um, the power of Eugene is he's someone who was continually being transfigured by the love of Christ. And and when a question for me as I read the biography, and I don't want to put words into your mouth here, but would it be fair to say that if you spent time with Eugene and Jan? It was God who shaped you just as he was shaping them. I, everyone was taken by him, and yet they came away deeper in God somehow. And, and I, Andrew Murray's book with Christ in the School of Prayer, that it's Christ who teaches us to pray. Did Eugene teach people to pray or in Eugene's presence? Was there such a profound impact of God that it shaped them? Would, would that be fair? I, yeah, for sure. I mean, he he thought that one of the pastor's primary jobs was to teach people to pray, but he was also at the same time very reticent to tell people specifically how to do it. Um, and so, yes, it was about it was about helping others to encounter the living Christ. Yeah, yeah. That which seems to me how he would have stayed centered through all of this stuff. He's the a celebrity pastor who was opposed to celebrity pastors. Mm-hmm. And he was so centered on Christ that the way he would influence you would be to draw you to Christ is, yeah. is what it sends to me in the, in the biography. Yeah. Very attractive. Hmm. I think one of the things I greatly appreciate, a couple things about the, about the biography was as I was reading it, I felt like Eugene was, was speaking, you know, like there were so many quotes and it was like, it was almost like reading another one of his books in mm. some ways. And the other thing I really appreciated, which kind of resonated with my own experience, um, I got to meet Eugene uh, when he came to Western one of those times. And uh, I, I th- it was it was kind of an uncomfortable meeting, actually, because he's like sitting at a table and people are coming up and shaking his hand. And I got the sense afterward, like, that was not like his way <laughs> of interacting with people. 
you know, all these people want to, you know, and anyway, I got a real nice picture though. So it looks like we had this amazing <laughs> moment. Really? Um, but what I appreciate about the, the biography was the humanity. Like, as you were talking about, like there was no sugarcoating because like in this celebrity culture that we live in, it's like, I didn't know much about Eugene. I, I, I think I, I think at that point only knew, you know, that he translated the message. And so I had this picture in my mind of who I was going to see and listen to. And he was none of those things. Um, and as he spoke, yeah, you mentioned the gro- the kind of grovelly voice and just the pauses and the quiet. And I just got this sense of this, this humility. Anyway, but like the tendency is to then elevate persons. Um, and then when I met him, it was like, you know, there was like this resistance to that. And so this humanity and like talking about his weaknesses and where he where he fell short and where he struggled. And, and one of the pieces that really struck me was this, this, the competitive versus the contemplative pastor Mm. and how he was actually competitive, like at his core and he had to work against that. And it really resonated with me because, oh man, like what a temptation for us in this system of Hardawike. Like if we start falling into that competitive pastor, um, with three worshiping communities and one church, like, oh man, that would be so dangerous for us. And um, anyway, say more about this contemplative, com- maybe I'm just rambling on because that's what I do. <laughs> no, but um, but uh, yeah, say yeah. more about that. Well, yeah, some people feel like Eugene fell out of the womb this monk-like character <laughs> with a halo over his head who yeah, yeah. just lived at a different plane and, you know, good luck for the rest of us trying to, yeah. <laughs> but it was, and and I do think that some of the impact of his life was about his person. I mean, just the personality that God had given him, but that storyline is really not true at all. I mean, he was a, a in ath- athletics, I mean, he was a, a competitive runner, yep. really good, um, and even ran against Roger Bannister um, one year. It was. It's funny though. The myth. The mythology is that Eugene almost beat Roger Bannister. <laughs> and uh, when I asked him about it, he just almost fell out of the chair laughing. He's like, "I was like fifty yards behind him." <laughs> you know, that's almost. That's almost. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Closer than any of us. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, and I think you know the early years of being the planting pastor at Christ Our King in Bel Air, Maryland. The first six years or so, he really felt the pressure of um, this was this would have been right at the front end of this whole, the whole sort of church planting, yeah. right. church growth movement. And yeah, I love the big red binder. Yeah, oh, I mean God. that just yeah. sticks with me. Really, I've got a couple of them in my book. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> but it it wasn't it wasn't that he was never tempted by those things because he was living otherworldly. It was just the opposite. It was that he had tasted the poison. Mm-hmm. And he revolted against it, and he saw it as deeply damaging to the church and, a, and an affront to the gospel. And so as he saw many of his friends and companions sort of following this path and just saw the literature pouring out, it alarmed him, and he became um, resolute in his resistance. <laughs> and so, yes, he— became a voice for, I think, um, the oldest tradition of what it means to be a pastor. Again, it was nothing new. It was just reminding us that prayer and um, 
sharing the story of the gospel from the word of Christ um, and being present with people and loving a place that God has given you to labor, that these were the basics of being a pastor and that we were being seduced by false things. Mm. So, yeah, it was it was hard won. Mm. And when he left Regent, part of why he left was because he felt like he was becoming something of a guru, mm. and it terrified him. In fact, he let his – that was the day you know, when they had the old phone systems with the old voicemails. I know some of us have it, but those are yeah. – it seems like they're long gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but he, he let his fill up and just left it there so that no one else could leave him voice messages. Um, because he wanted to talk with people who were present, like the students, right. and mm. he didn't he didn't want all this stuff from outside people that he didn't know. Yeah. So. Well, and I think you there was another thing you captured in the book, and that was that Willie Willie's painting mm. of him, you know, and how Willie just saw. I mean, his idea of if I'm understand, you know, as long as I'm reading your words well. <laughs> um, but that Willie, you know, kind of saw death in the pastor, you know, and having seen how pastors were influenced by Nazi Germany, right. you know, um, and then painting that in Eugene, um, you know, Mike, we, it's almost as if we we all need one of those painting. We all need something like that to re- be a continual reminder of, you know, what end are we really about? Um, in, in this calling, you know, is the end Jesus, um, and actually living into that union with him more and getting to share out of that well, or do we become the celebrity, you know, do we become, um, I wonder how, like, was that painting then, you know, in his later years, was that still up for him? How did he engage with like that, that influence of that, um, yeah, I mean, what? How did that picture continue to sort of be with him in later years? Yeah, I mean, he didn't have it up on the wall because it wasn't a particularly <laughs> nice painting. Right. <laughs> and for those who haven't read, just to clarify, yeah, um, tell the story. Um, when Eugene was in seminary, uh, Willie Oso was an artist who was um, a custodian for the Presbyterian Church that he was. Uh, Madison Avenue Prez, where he was uh, doing his internship, and he struck up a friendship with him. He was an immigrant from from Germany, and he liked Eugene, but he couldn't believe that anyone good would become a pastor yeah. because of the kind of pastors he had seen that they had um, that they had um, surrendered their calling to to fo- to follow a regime, and so um, he would go over a couple times a week for dinner and uh, Willie began to paint Eugene but didn't show Eugene the picture until the end so Eugene had no idea he had no idea this was going on he knew that a picture was being painted of okay. him but he didn't know um, what it was a, like what it was going to look like right, right. and when Willie's wife walked in one day and saw looked behind Willie's shoulder and saw the painting where Eugene was on the other side wasn't seeing right. the painting and she began to freak out and began to yell at her husband, why are you making this? This is hideous, you know. And that's, that's when he said, well, this is what will happen to Eugene if he um, becomes a pastor, is all the life will drain out of him. Yeah. And um, so Eugene kept that painting, 
I mean, it's in their house still. It's not in a prominent spot. Um, and the picture of it is in the, in the book and it's, um, yeah, it was always a reminder for him. And I think what you're saying is really good. We all need a picture of what's, what seduction will do to us. And what we might become Mm -hmm. if we uh, submit. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe, and maybe that helps us kind of shift toward what we can, um, what we can glean today in uh, Darwin, you yeah. were going to say something. Yeah, so, I don't I, wanna... so as I as I read through the book, I had the privilege of reading a lot of Eugene Peterson in ministry. I think he was mentioned in passing in seminary um, yeah. many years ago at, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. No fault to the school. Um, <laughs> Name dropping. And, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, um, but I remember reading him throughout um, being in ministry and teaching college level and teaching seminary level. And um, I always. Um, as I read through the biography, it, it really struck me of how – reminded me, I should say, of how anxiety-producing he was um, for me in his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that anxiety came because I was trained and schooled in a very different way of ministry and way of being in ministry. Yeah. Um, the big red binder. Um, right. Yeah. And, and as I read him, I saw something different and, and was – which I very much appreciated – um, trying to figure out how to make the transition between what I was doing and where I was and what he was describing um, seemed – it was just overwhelming. How do I make that transition? How do I make that transition yeah, into being I, I this kind this. of pastor um, and serving in, in this kind of way? Um, so it was it was interesting reading the biography. Mm. Lots of anxiety came back, mm. um, <laughs> which I know you didn't intend to produce as writing a book. <laughs> um, but but it's Maybe interesting. But it's, it's interesting <laughs> over the years, though, um, and I say this in a really kind of strange way. Um, COVID and all the pandemic actually provided, at least for me to some degree, space to reorient that I'd mm-hmm. never been able to find in ministry beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really struck. Um, so I taught college. I taught seminary. Taught around the world. I was so I was. Um, immediately drawn to his time at Regent because I had friends who studied yep. with him at Regent. Um, I had hoped to go to Regent at one point. Um, so I was totally fascinated by that um, and, and his experience there. But I was really struck when um, he tried – when he's trying to describe – when someone asked him, is he even evangelical? Uh. And and I'm old enough to know that the term evangelical has morphed in its meaning from when um, I entered ministry in the 80s till now. Um, I actually don't like the term, um, partially because of the baggage with it. But but I was really struck by um, this statement from him. And I'd like you to kind of just tease this out a little bit. As he's talking about kind of evangelical and dis- his discomfort. And he, he accuses um, evangelicals to keep trying to do the work of the Trinity themselves. He goes on, he says, we're not the Trinity, but I would tell pastors to quit being so busy and learn quiet, to quit talking so much and learn silence, to quit treating the congregation as customers and treat them with dig- dignity as souls in formation. Mm-hmm. Um, I read those words and I just – I had to close the book for a while and just sure. pause yeah. um, because that seems like our calling so – so clearly and so succinctly. Um, and, and it is an incredibly difficult calling. There's tremendous distractions. I, yeah. I mean, I think that's part of what's ruined that definition yeah. uh, for me. And I'm 
I'm ordained in the evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's part of our brand, if you will, but it's changed so dramatically by that consumer orientation, yeah. by that technique thing, and the call back to the f- spiritual formation of souls. And it, you know, Eugene seems to stand out so strongly with that. You just go, how does that fit? Yeah. Well, it is, it is interesting. I didn't want to give Wynn a chance to talk here. Welcome to our conversation. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is interesting how um, I found that um, the Andy Root and the pastor in a secular age, um, as he's trying to struggle, what is the role of the pastor in this secular age? And how do we, how do we bring um, transcendence back into the lives of our people and congregation? Sure. Um, actually defaults at the end to – to Eugene, Eugene Peterson, um, and and I find that really intriguing there um, as well. So I, so if if Eugene was sitting around the table right now, what would he say to us? <laughs> well, I will have to say I I made a commitment to never answer that question. Okay, so <laughs> because when, I don't what, I don't know what. Yeah, no. When okay, yeah. so when what's your reaction but, to that? <laughs> but um, I mean, I think you are actually touching at the heart of Eugene's deep consternation, bewilderment um, over the things he felt the most passionate about, the most true, the, the, the beauty of the church, the integrity of Scripture. And I think he thought the problem with the since – since you named it, um, much of the evangelical machine is precisely not in its um, – that it just was sort of – um, steered out of bounds a little bit or got too mex- messed up in politics, those were fruits of a deeper issue mm-hmm. that 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 we were more taken by the American project, which mm-hmm. is fundamentally driven by um, market concerns, leadership techniques, power dynamics, and that we have and, – and the seduction is that it works. Yep. For a while. Right. At least to begin. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it works if what you're judging things by is how we have defined growth. Right. But, um, but that it's actually a cancer and that it probably can't be salvaged. And by, when I say that, I mean he was just in some ways ignorant intentionally about the structures. <laughs> he, he was um, – one of his friends, Will Willimon, you know, one of his criticisms of Eugene was that Eugene wasn't concerned enough about institutions. Um, to which Eugene would say, "I'm a pastor." <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but so the questions about what to do, how to reform that that just that wasn't on his uh, on his whiteboard. Mm-hmm. But what did keep him up at night was, what are we becoming? And mm-hmm. is God is God um, at the core of the the center of who we are and what we're what we're after, and can God speak to us again, and will we listen and will we obey? And so I think I mean that that yeah. those lines are at, at the very heart. Yeah. What what strikes me too is that what what caused so much disillusionment for Eugene. I, it seems that's why so many people in our world and our country are disillusioned with the church as well. And so there just seems to be, there seems to be some 
wisdom lesson way to help us move forward as the church, as the culture around us. I mean, there's something there, you know? Yeah. And I will say, because I heard him say it, Eugene would say there are many ways that we can help people grow up into life in God and probably many things we should do at various times and places, but there is nothing that will ever uh, outstrip or overshadow baptism and Eucharist, Mm. Mm, that that is the very heart of our discipleship because it is an alternative story to tell someone that you have been baptized you have a new name, you have a new Lord, you have a new king, you have a new identity, you're a new person. You don't have the same allegiances. Mm-hmm. Um, and that every, uh, every time we gather around the Lord's table that we are united by the spirit of Christ in the power of the resurrection to a new uh, way of being in the world that is defined from beginning to end by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that, that is a radical reorientation and mm-hmm. I am concerned because I think we're doing all kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we've lost the center line, which is we are identified by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's so radical. The fact that we're not shocked by that tells us we're not really hearing that story. Yeah. And so we need to be shocked again. And here we are, the Monday of Holy Week. Yeah, recording as we record this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the two things that Jesus left the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. how, how those become the center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, he yeah. really pushed back on the church growth that I grew up in as a pastor and, yeah. and kept calling back to soul formation, spiritual formation, that it's, it's who the Spirit of God will create in the church that, that, that brings life. Yeah, you know, I mean, the fundamental problem there is we d- have begun to define the church by what we do, yep, instead of by what God has done. Yep, um, the church exists, and and we've got a great technique. So just in case God doesn't show up, <laughs> we can keep growing, right? I, I mean, it, it's death when you push it out as far as it'll go. Yeah, but the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, the real church. But the gates of hell will. Absolutely prevail against our programs, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, our organizations, our, right. right? Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate when just in your in your writing and the capturing, and JB, you touched on this a little bit too, of just picking up that for Eugene. This wasn't some ethereal, right? It was lived out of an honest life, honest struggle too, and I think that gives us uh, it, it gives me permission as well to go to enter into the tensions because it's in the tensions where God is forming us and stretching us, pulling us, you know, in other ways, pushing us. Um, and I think I saw that most, and I just want to thank you personally for this. Um, I might actually tear up. People can't see this on, <laughs> but when you captured verbatim what he shared with his council, his leadership, uh, about what it meant to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm getting, we're writing our reports this week for for our council leadership, and I'm putting that in and going, this is, I mean, it captured for me, I think what always, without ever having that connection, but having that spiritual connection with him, you know, and, and being able to go, that, he captured in a nutshell, mm-hmm what I feel called to be as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And and that's from everything from going, I've missed 
way too many dinners to count, right? And um, to going, I've got to slow down. Uh, maybe I need to use less words sometimes. I need to let others lead. Um, you know, this, and, and so for me, I think being able to see that humanity in him and you capturing that throughout all of this writing, but also those words in particular, um, to give, again, me words. He, he blessed me with a lot of words, like you said at the very beginning. Uh, so many of us were connected to him through his writings. Um, but again, to have something so poignant, so very true that hits back to my calling and who I feel called to be. It's, and it was in the struggle. That's why I actually have Van Gogh art up in my office because Van Gogh was a tortured soul, but so much beauty came out of those tensions. So much beauty came out of the struggle. And, and I just really appreciate that. Um, so um, I think that was probably the biggest blessing for me reading the book again was just the reminder of, yeah, Eugene wasn't some superhuman person. He was like any one of us. Um, I don't know if he would have like liked podcasting all that much. <laughs> um, and he'd probably tell me to, you know, he, he wouldn't tell me to shut up, but he might actually just be really quiet around me. So I'd learn to be quiet, but <laughs> um, that humanity um, in capturing that so succinctly, I, I called my wife Kendra over and just said, I need to read this to you because this goes back to one of my original writings about my own personal calling. Um, it goes back to that independent study. It goes back to what I've been striving for, you know, um, and having two kids who are teenagers and wanting to be present with them and not lose those relationships, wanting to pastor them well as much as I pastor the congregation well. Um, so, I mean, there's not really a question there, but I just wanted to take an opportunity to say thank you for that because it does, it touches on, you know, JB, that that humanity. He wasn't a person that had life altogether. He did not not struggle with the big red, big red binder. You know, he had failed church planting experiences. He, um, and I... I think that's also one of those stories, you know, a, another thing that connected with me was how the pastor didn't connect at his dad's, you know, butcher shop. Mm -hmm. uh, for him, seeing pastors who didn't connect to the yeah. everyday, the ordinary, you know. But why? Well, when we continue to present this perfect picture, you know, the a life with Jesus that looks like roses, people don't, that's not, that's A, not a real life. Mm -hmm. Um, that's marked by sin, that has to deal with it, that is always in process. Um, and yeah, it, it just, to me, that reality, um, yeah, connects. So it's, thank you. That's very meaningful. It was, that was an interesting section of the book for me and my role as the executive pastor, because I'm, I had to be concerned with the institutional organizational pieces. And I was impressed by his the session's response um, to his letter. And one of the questions that kind of emerged from me is, you know, what does it mean to, to create and maintain organizational institutional structures that allow pastors to be pastors um, yeah. and don't force them into yeah. the big red binder or don't 
force them in, but but how do you create those things around them that actually create mm-hmm. safe space right. um, to be that? And, and I think that may be one of the most in- question. If I were able to have coffee with him, that's what I would ask. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you yeah. create those things around the church structure, the organizational structure, so that pastors are free to be pastors, that the space is safe? Mm-hmm. Um, and that they can can minister in ways that they need to minister without being subject to the the big red binder and the consumer orientation of our culture. I don't think I've ever heard an executive pastor say that. So you have just redeemed the oh, calling. Thank you. For me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's because I have a great counsel. You know. Well, um, any any final thoughts or final questions? I want to. Leave, leave a little space. Um, reflections. I was very thankful for the biography. It gave me a whole new context for the message. Yeah. I've always yeah. liked the message. I wondered whether it's a paraphrase or a translation. And I think I'm coming away with a deep conviction. It's a translation by this guy who's dwelling in the word, eating the word. Like he mm-hmm. says, and it, it was just very helpful to get uh, that context and draw me back to that and see if for the strength that it has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're you're sharing life with um, Eugene Peterson as he invests deeply in the Scripture, listening to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, it, and it was a great book to read. I yeah. we've done some books that we were happy to let folks know about, and here's the point: this is one of those books where I'd say, "Oh, you need to read it. It's mm-hmm. a good read and and very accessible." Thankful for that. Thank you. Yeah, and I would just want to say thank you as well, and thank yeah. you for being willing to to come and join us yeah. uh, on this this podcast in a dingy basement here at Hardaway <laughs> Ministries. <laughs> this is uh, why we don't do video podcasts yeah. currently. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but I I think it just offers some insight, and uh, hopefully more people will want to want to read the book. I, sure, I I feel like I want to read the book again uh, just reading. from this conversation, um, and I know I'm I'm diving into some. Uh, Eugene's books uh, here on this Holy Week, but but thank you, Wynn, for for joining us and well, thank really you for having it. me. I really appreciate it. So that kind of brings us to yeah. conclusion for today. Yeah. Um, without a better transitional sentence, but yeah, again, thanks for everybody who dives in and listen listens to us. Again, in that fear and trembling, right? Yep. We're we're just trying to work out our faith, like Paul talks about, in humility and mm-hmm. an understanding of God's transcendence and imminence. You know, yep. God is so much bigger and beyond us, but yet we see in Jesus, and we see especially in the Spirit, that God is not afraid to be in us and with us, and we are forever with Him in Christ. Um, that's just. Phenomenal good news, and I think that carries over into our next book uh, next month. And we're going to have another guest with us, uh, Prayer in the Night, Tish Harrison Warren, as she wrestles with prayer. Uh, Bill, you kind of recommended for us this one, so I'm going to give you a, a second or two to... I knew this was going to be a great read. My wife, Mary Lynn, was reading it, and about every third page, she would run into my office and say, Bill, you've just got to hear this. And she was right with every one of them. I probably use a story or illustration from this book about every third or fourth week, once a month. She's a fascinating writer, 
Uh, she had she's a mom. That makes anybody fascinating, right? She's a mom. She's ordained with the Anglican Church of North America. She served with InterVarsity as a campus ministry at Vanderbilt. Um, she now has a column in the New York Times that I look to every week, the kind of depth and focus on Christ in that place of all places is just been inspiring to me. It's a great read. So even if you're not much of a reader, this is the kind of book that three, four pages at a time can help shape your life. I can hardly wait to go through it together. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for the recommendation so far. I know I've really yeah. enjoyed it. I've already snagged a, you know, illustration <laughs> yeah. on Sunday. It, it's, <laughs> gold, it's gold for preachers. Good yeah. stories. <laughs> right. So uh, for all of us, for this Motley crew today, um, again, Wynn, thank you for your time and uh, for being a new friend, but uh, most importantly, for being our brother in Christ Amen. and joining us. And until next, next time, uh, grace and peace to you all.